But Lord, we lift up all of these to you. And I take the privilege of also praying for my wife and ask that you would settle her heart, ease her heart rate, lower her blood pressure, bring her into perfect health and peace, bring comfort to her and the family. And Lord, so many of us right now are dealing with things that just feel as though it's beyond our capacity to carry. And it is. But God. And so our faith is in you, Lord. We do not know what comes next, but we do know that you have a purpose in all things, and you are able to work all things together for good. And so, Lord, we ask that you would move in your mighty ways by your Holy Spirit to bring about your purposes in our lives, in our homes, in our church, in our neighborhood, in every hospital all over the city and every police precinct under every bridge and overpass, in every park, by every fountain, on every road and pathway and trail, in every home and workplace. Let your purpose prevail. Most of all, Lord, each one of us right now pray that in our hearts, your purpose would prevail. Lord, we come to your word because we want to come into alignment with your purpose and your promise. We want to walk in the pathway of your righteousness. We fail in that time and time again, but your grace is sufficient to carry us. What you have asked for is not our perfection, but our willingness to be perfected by you. And so, Lord, I pray in that way so that each one of us, as a part of this prayer, would resolve once again to pursue your pathway and your purpose and trust in you as our help and our Savior. Amen. Thank you for praying in this way. And thank you for your ongoing prayers. As we come to the teaching of the word today, I want to share with you some of my thinking coming into this message. Uh, as you can tell, it's been an emotional week for me and uh, for all of us. But because of so many things that have transpired this week, I have found it challenging to be focused on listening to the Lord you know what I mean? There are, there's such a cacophony of voices and opinions and demands and concerns and issues that it's very difficult in the midst of that to, to zero in on what is the Lord saying in this moment? And particularly with the national distress that occurred uh, at the Capitol building this week, and that is ongoing. I mean, there, there, there are ramifications coming out of that, things that flowed into it and are coming out of it. 
that, that makes one feel, especially when, when one has the position of being in a pulpit and having this opportunity to speak on such issues, one might very well feel that it's necessary to give an opinion, a perspective. And I feel <laughs> like it's very difficult for me to get clarity on my own opinions and perspectives in the moment when one is experiencing so much emotion. So I was praying to the Lord, which is the thing to do, right? Pray always. We've heard that also this morning. Pray without ceasing. And my sense of what the Lord was saying to me was, this flock that he loves, that is you, brothers and sisters, are not in need of another opinion. You don't need my opinions on these things. For one thing, of what particular value is my opinion? I don't know. But I don't, I don't presume to put too high of a value upon it. But more to the point, I think there are too many too eager to speak and too few who are willing to listen. May I say that again? In this moment, and really, it's consistent as an aspect of human nature, and the scripture speaks to it. There are too many who are too ready and too willing to speak their opinions, and too few who are ready and willing to listen. And I believe what the Lord is saying to his people, what the Spirit is saying to the church right now, is listen to me, says the Lord. So I've been endeavoring, aiming, asking God to help me to listen, to hear him. And in the midst of that, I've realized that the message that he gave me to speak on this day is the message that I have to share with you from him for this season. I didn't know what I would be facing on this Sunday when I'd be bringing this message, but he did. So I'm going to bring you the message that he gave me to bring. And the work of applying it to what's going on right now is the work that I'm asking you to do with the preaching that is being given to you. The word of the scriptures that is being opened by us and the message of the spirit that is being extended to us is a message which you must receive and apply in your own life, in your particular arena. But be assured of this. The Lord is saying, be slow to speak and slow to anger and quick to listen as much as it is possible for you be a peacemaker and endeavor to find unity and commonality with people around you 
Not unity and commonality with things that are unrighteous or against the Lord, but look for the areas where you can find harmony and agreement and be willing to listen to viewpoints and perspectives that are different than your own, even if they are viewpoints and perspectives that are at odds with the way of the Lord. What do I mean by that? I don't mean entertain taking up some activity or action that runs contrary to God, but what I am saying is be prepared that it's possible that there may be a few things about what God wants or the way God is or how God operates that you and I still have to learn. And there may be some people around us that we think are wrong who may have an insight into something that we are lacking. How would we know unless we listened? Even as I say that, I realize that there are many who will dismiss that as being a kind of watered-down, weak-willed, milk-toast appeal. Can't we just get along and try and be friends? And that's not at all what it is. It's really a reckoning. You're wrong about some things, and so am I. What? I don't know. But you know who does? God. The heart is desperately wicked and always operating in ways that you and I don't even understand about ourselves. Who can know it? The one who sees it, who searches it, which is the Lord. And the Holy Spirit, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have him. If you want him, and you should, because he's the spirit of love and wisdom and revelation and truth and life and resurrection, you can have him, and Jesus is the way to that life. It is his spirit that comes to you when you give yourself to him. If you have that spirit within you, then the spirit himself makes intercession for the saints. That is, the people of God who are being perfected by the spirit of Christ and the Spirit is making intercession for us with groanings too deep to be uttered. It is time for us to listen to the Spirit and not the world. The news media cannot give you wisdom. The president cannot give you wisdom. That's not to say that this president or any president can't or doesn't have wisdom, it's that no one can impart wisdom to you more deeply, more truly, more accurately than the Spirit himself. And you cannot be in the Spirit of Christ and divided from his body. If you are at odds with brothers and sisters in Christ, you are at odds with Christ. And it is Christ Jesus who is head of the body who makes that statement to us. This commandment, I give you a new commandment, he says, love one another. And if we divide from one another on the basis of political persuasions, sociological perceptions, ethnic origins, we are elevating those things above Christ. 
I'm not saying there can't be differences of opinions. There will be. In fact, there should be. What I'm saying is listen to different opinions. Consider different perspectives. But remember, ultimately, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord and says, Jesus Christ is my Savior, is your brother or sister, unless the Christ that they declare is not Christ. Well, I suppose that's the rub, right? Well, what they believe isn't right about Christ. But some of what you and I believe about Christ is probably not right. I mean, do you think there's any degree to which you need to learn more about the Lord? Surely there is. So have the measure of humility that Jesus Christ himself demonstrates by being willing to pause, to listen, to consider I would urge everyone to step back from social media. This week, I saw many exchanges between brothers and sisters that I've known for years who I know love the Lord and are not speaking lovingly to one another. That doesn't mean you can't disagree with each other, but I'm talking about something beyond disagreement. I'm talking about disparagement and division. And I think that it's not, this is not a criticism of those brothers and sisters because if I were to do that, I'd be falling into the same trap that I am condemning. Rather, what I'm saying is I believe the medium itself is ill-equipped to host these kinds of conversations. The, uh, the famous social scientist Marshall McLuhan said famously, decades ago that the medium is the message. And he was referring to the new mass media of the 20th century. Now in the 21st century, social media is the new media and the media is the message. Social media is its own goal. It has its own focus. It has its own purpose. And that purpose cannot be more important in your life or mine than the purpose of Jesus. Now, this church operates on social media, and I post on social media, and I don't know that it's even necessarily entirely possible to completely, you know, uh, extricate ourselves from the reality of the internet connections that we have, especially at this time, in the midst of COVID. We need these, these virtual connections to sustain us when physical connections are all the more challenging to have. But what I am saying is it is not a media, it, it, it's not a forum in which people who love the Lord should be dividing from one another on political and sociological grounds. If that's what's going on in your newsfeed, if that's what's going on on, on your Twitter, if that's what's going on in any of your social media environments, I urge you to pause and listen to the Lord. There's a kind of a rush to post, to comment, to respond, to forward. And friends, there is delusion across the board and across the land. Delusion and confusion. And it is not bound 
to one side of the political spectrum. It is not uniquely the problem of one ethnic group or one language group or one nation. There is delusion spreading all over this world. Now, who is the author of delusion and division, of confusion and deception? It is the enemy of our souls, the devil himself. And he excels at captivating people in the pursuit of a purpose that they are convinced is of God, but is actually of Satan. And one that was like that was a brilliant man, well-versed in these scriptures. He knew the Hebrew Bible better than I probably ever will, and who was fully educated and equipped in the study of the word of God and the law of God and the ritual and practice of God. And he was dedicated and focused on a purpose which he was absolutely convinced was right and all right-minded people should follow it. And his name was Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And his purpose was to be an upright Jew of Israel, a Jewish, faithful, devout follower of the God of Israel who would stand against anything that stands against the God of Israel. And he saw rising up in his day and age a new kind of thinking that was heretical and an abomination to God that was so wrong that it threatened the nation and the world. And the only way to respond to these people who were promoting these lies that were deceiving was to prosecute them and, if necessary, to execute them. He was for God and against Christ. And he was dead wrong. But he was convinced he was right. And yet, the pathway he was on was going against the grain of God until on the road to Damascus, you know the story. Suddenly, he was knocked back. He was brought down. The light blinded him. The voice spoke to him and said, why are you persecuting me? It's hard when you kick against the goads, Saul. He needed to be stopped. He needed to be silenced, blinded, made utterly dependent on God the very God he thought he was serving. In fact, he knew there was a voice, and it was clear the voice was authoritative and righteous, but he didn't know who this voice was that was speaking to him. It was Jesus. And Saul, the persecutor of Christ, became Saul, the evangelist, the apostle, Paul, which is just another language version of the same name. He never stopped being Saul, but he finally got onto the pathway of who Saul was meant to be, of who Paul would be. Someone who was pursuing Christ Jesus and promoting the very gospel that he had spoken about. You say, well, that's all well and good, but I'm on the right road. Only God can correct us 
we must be willing and ready to hear from him. Now that's why we have been called by God in this year of purpose to focus on what God's purposes are for us. Not our own purposes, not the purposes of the people around us or the clique and group that we're a part of or what the world tells us should be the purposes, but God's purpose. And today, I want to talk about persevering in that purpose. And yet, it cannot just be about being focused and being sure because look at Paul. He was focused and he was sure, but he was wrong. So Paul learned a secret that is a blessing for all that will receive it, which is the only way to persevere is not to be sure of yourself, but to be focused on Christ. And that's the pathway that leads to the prize, because Christ himself is the prize. And for this very purpose, Jesus Christ laid hold of you and I. If you are a follower of his, and if you're not, if you're a guest with us this morning, he's reaching out to lay hold of you. The truth is, on the cross, he laid claim to you. He paid a price to purchase you, and he is saying, here's my hand extended to you. Will you take it into yours? Will you give your hand into mine? Here he is, shining a light, speaking a voice into your life today and saying, stop, halt, don't go further until you hear from me. I have a direction I want you to go in. And it's for this very purpose that you and I have been called by God. In the midst of our problems, if we focus on the Lord, we will find the place of faith. It doesn't evaporate all of our problems in, in the timeline and the ways that we want. When we face problems like death, even in death, there is hope. Even in the moment of tragedy, there is triumph in Christ, in God's purposes, in God's promises. If we will allow our purposes, trials, and, and tribulations to focus us on God, we will see in God promises that enable us to persevere no matter what the challenge. Now, it's not easy. You, you see in me today, it's not easy. In fact, it's impossible. We can't do it on our own. We can only do it with God. But even with God, we are continually coming to the end of ourselves. But praise God for that. Count it all joy. I give grace, I give gratitude to God for his grace today. I say thank you, Lord, that you have deemed fit to allow me and my brethren to face the challenges that we face knowing that you will work all things together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And Lord, you show us not only your purpose in this world, but our purpose in you. We're going to talk about that next week. But let me, before I move into the bulk of today's teaching, take some uh, brief moments to review where we've come so far. As I mentioned, we've been looking at how our problems focus us on God's ways. Problems put us in the place of a, of a pathway, like, like Saul on the road to Tarsus. Am I going to keep going the way that seems right to me? Because in front of every person, the scripture says, is a wide and pleasant road, but it leads to death. Jesus said, wide is the gate, and, and, and easy is the, the way uh, that, that 
leads to destruction, and there are many people on it. But it's a, it's a narrow path. It's the difficult gate that leads to life. And yet, Jesus is that way. He is that truth. He is that life. So our decision is, do I follow him? Or do I follow what I think is him? Do you see the distinction? We want the convenience of just knowing, well, what is it I'm supposed to believe? But it's not so much what you are to believe, but who you are to believe. Saul was focused on the what. He knew the letter of the law, but he did not have the spirit of it until he met the author of it. And when he met the living word, then that dead letter became a living source of purpose and guidance to him. But you and I have to know the Lord personally. And the only way that's going to happen is if we decide to trust him. And trusting means we say, not my will, but God's. I'm not going to be living my life the way I think I should do it. I'm going to be living Christ's life. He'll show me how to live. You know, I fail in that a lot. Not in the desire, but in the action. But the desire is what God asks of from me. So when I fail, I come to God. And God, whose grace is sufficient for me, helps get me back on track. On course correction from the Holy Spirit. That means I have to constantly depend on him committing my ways to him and trusting him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Wait a minute. Lean not on your own understanding. Friend, can I ask you a question honestly but, but penetratingly? Whose understanding are you depending on? There are things in the word that we don't understand. What are we to do? If any of you lacks wisdom, ask of God who gives liberally. But ask believing that he'll give. In other words, it's the relationship with God. And that relationship is not just between me and God. It's also between me and those whom God has put me into a body with. So, if I am not going to depend on my wisdom but rather the Lord's, that means I also need to be open to the voice of wisdom that the Lord speaks through godly leaders, through elders and pastors, through mentors. It means that when the scripture says that there are governmental leaders that I need to show regard and respect for, it doesn't mean that I cannot critique that which is worthy of critique, but it does mean that I would do so in a respectful way and submitted to what God's purpose is, what God's perspective is. And it's something that involves a commitment to one another in Christ. The real demonstration of that will be living lives that bear the fruit of the kingdom. Lives of, of love and joy not joy that's predicated upon what's going on, but having joy in the midst of mourning, in the midst of grieving. It is possible to have the joy of the Lord, and that does not cancel grieving, and it does no dishonor to the person that you grieve. In fact, quite the contrary. It shows that you 
have a trust in God and in his love and in his resurrection that will enable you to live according to the highest purposes of God. What could be a, a greater honor than to live as the person that God has called you to be? What would bring more delight to a loved one who loves you that's gone on than to see you living a joyful life? Not the trivial kind of joy that the world looks for, but the deep and abiding joy of the Lord. Peace in the midst of problems. Peace, like Philippians 4 talks about, that surpasses all understanding. Patience in the midst of trials. Long-suffering and the perspective that is able to see joy in things that are not joyful. It's not just pretending. It's not some Pollyanna attitude of saying, I'm going to put on rose-colored glasses and just pretend that everything is good. It is, in fact, instead looking for the purpose of God in everything and recognizing that God is at work in all these things. These these points of decision, dependence, and through that, allowing the demonstration of the fruit and the life of the Spirit to come out, they're reflected in the statement of Scripture in Psalm 55. This is out of the Passion Translation. Here's what I've learned through it all, through all these problems, through all this COVID, through all this chaos, through all this crisis, through all this crying. What I've learned through it all is cast your cares, all your cares, upon the Lord because he cares for you. It's not wrong to cry. When, when tears are warranted, let tears come. Cry out for justice. Cry out for mercy. But cry out to the Lord and put your anxieties at his feet and put your treasures on his altar. You say, Pastor, you're, you're saying that we shouldn't be committed to certain things that we know to be right. You know, somebody will say, I'm absolutely positive. Let me, can I, can I venture into the realm of real names and real circumstances? Somebody would say, Jesus Christ has put it in my heart to be a supporter of Donald Trump, our president, and what he has done, and I'm advocating for that. Pastor, are you telling me that, that I'm supposed to not listen to that? That's wrong. What you are saying would call me to contradict Christ. Somebody else would say, Pastor, there is no doubt. Black Lives Matter and that organization is giving voice to that statement and that is what Jesus speaks about. Jesus speaks about elevating people who have been downtrodden. Jesus speaks about giving voice and power to the voiceless and the powerless, about bringing equity into society, elevating the poor and bringing judgment to the rich. And if you're telling me that Jesus isn't in that, then you're wrong and I'm not going to listen to you. But what I'm telling you is you're saying on both sides of that, which I'm not necessarily intending to put those in opposition, but I've chosen a, a conservative rallying point in these days, and I've chosen a liberal rallying point in these days, for lack of better terms. But I think you'd agree those are right and left, yes? It's fair enough. So what I'm saying is people who have those perspectives and, and are taking them in particularly what I've just described, Christians who have those perspectives and are saying, this is from God to me. I'm saying to you, it belongs on the altar. You mean something that God gives to me, I'm supposed to put on the altar and, and, and put it under the knife? 
You mean like Abraham? Who received a promise from God, you will have a son who will be your seed, your heir, and through that seed, through that heir, there will be a nation, and that nation will be the proclamation of a promise to the whole world of salvation. It was through Abraham that came Isaac, through Isaac that came Jacob, who was Israel, through Israel, the sons, the tribes of Israel, and through the tribes and the nation of Israel came down a King David, from whose line came a Messiah, who is Christ. But God said, put Isaac on the altar. God said, put him under the knife. So whatever God has given you, you give back to God. And if you're really giving it to God, what it means is, this belongs to you. This persuasion that I have, that's not you. That's my understanding of you. That's not you. That's the personification of what I believe is your promise born out in my life, but it still belongs to you. It doesn't belong to me. Now you say, well, Abraham put Isaac on the altar, but God provided a ram in the bush. Yes. So you say, well, okay, well, what, then what, what are you saying about these different ideas? I'm not saying anything about those at the moment. Why not? Because I've already told you, my job is not to give you another opinion on that. Nor is it to be pigeonholed into those discussions, which is constantly the kind of issue that Jesus faced. The Pharisees coming to him and saying, well, what do you believe about this? And what do you believe about that? And what they're interested in is not what he believes, but how to categorize him, how to characterize him, how to manipulate him. <laughs> what Jesus frequently says is, that's your stuff. I'm talking to you about the kingdom. And that's what I'm saying to you today. You say, well, aren't there kingdom values in there? You bet there are. Absolutely. But it isn't kingdom values that save us. It is the king. Put it on the altar. And if God puts it to death, let it die. And if God resurrects it, then it is God's purpose. And if God provides, when you put it on the altar, a fresh perspective, then count it all joy, give thanks to God, for measureless grace will come to you as you depend on the strength of the Lord. What we need to find is faith in God. And faith comes from hearing the word of God, the promises of God, his very living word, which clarifies for us the truth. And as we looked at last week, the truth is not a set of principles, rather a person. Now, there are principles and precepts in the word, and we receive those, and we adopt them, and we apply them, but we do so under the governance of God. We, we are not more dedicated to the principles than to the prince. Otherwise, we are serving the letter of the law at the risk of missing the spirit of the word. Jesus came to testify to the truth in and of himself through the life that he lived. He constantly said, if you don't believe what I'm teaching, believe what I'm doing. By which he made it clear, my teaching and my doing go together because they are all a part of my being. 
and my being is not to be doing what I think is right, but to be doing what the will of the Father is. And he knew the will of the Father because he was anointed in the Spirit. And now you also will be anointed in the Spirit if you are a follower of Jesus so that you will do what God's will is for you. You'll be set free by God's truth. Friends, I've got to tell you this. I want to say this to you. Some of you are deluded right now. You are under the sway of lies. Some of you are. What lies do I have in mind? Too many to name, but they're not bound to any one political persuasion. They are not part of any one ethnic group. You say, well, how about you? I am too. I'm not immune to the deception. So what can I do? I put myself on the altar. You say, well, I don't have any of that. I, I, I'm not, maybe that's you, but not me. I see clearly. Friend, that's what the Pharisees said. And Jesus said to them, well, since you say that you see clearly, you are forever blind. But if you would admit that you were blind, then I would give you sight. You say, well, I've already done that. It isn't a one-time thing. Oh, it takes a decision to initiate, but it is a decision to live in the dark, trusting in the light. In other words, what does the scripture say? You don't live according to your sight, you live by faith. Paul had to be blinded in order to know what it is to truly see. Then when his sight was given back to him, Paul didn't live according to that sight. Instead, he wrote and said, it isn't sight that we need, but faith. Faith is the light. Christ is the light. If we say that we don't sin, which if we're saying, I've got it all right. I know what God's perfect purpose and will is, and uh, I, there's no need for any correction for me. Then what you're saying basically is, well, I'm without sin. You might say, well, I'm not saying that. What I mean, sometimes I falter, but I know what's right. I think the word from John to the church speaks to that situation. If we say that we have no sin, which is what people at that time were saying. They were saying, we know the Lord, and the Lord has, made, has corrected us and perfected us. And John says, then the truth is not in you. You're lying to yourself. You're kidding yourself. You're deceiving others. And the spirit of truth isn't in you. But if we will acknowledge that we need God, that we see, as Paul put it, through a glass darkly, we still, we still see only dimly. If we recognize what Paul says that we're going to read in just a moment, which is, I haven't already arrived, but I am focused on the goal, then God himself will continually cleanse us, correct us, and guide us. And his promises will propel us into the purpose of the Lord it's in that purpose that you and I are called to persevere. In Philippians chapter 3, which we're not going to read the entire chapter together, but what I'm going to do is call out a few points for you. And uh, what I'd like to ask of you is read this chapter this week. And you can even download these slides uh, from the website later today or the notes from the bulletin, which is always available at mypcf.org where you can also give, and we thank you for your giving, which is uh, faithful, sustaining us in persevering in the purpose of God. You'll find these notes. Look, 
deeply into this passage this week in these times and consider God's purpose for us and for you, especially as we prepare, God willing, to hear from the Lord next week about that personal application here. In Philippians 3, we have Paul talking about a race of faith, which is consonant with a passage also in 1 Corinthians 9, and which I believe is misprinted in the bulletin. We'll try and get that corrected. My apologies about that. And also in Hebrews chapter 12, this, this metaphor of a pathway that is really a race lane. And the point is to run the race. And it's a narrow thing when you run a race like that. You can't go straying out of the lines. But the lines are the guidance, the governance of God's purposes and promises. So along the, uh, the, along the same lines as we've discussed, there's a point of decision. What path are you going to follow? Because... Once you're in that lane, that's the lane that you're going to run in. It's, it's also like swimming lanes. I remember my mother talking about when she was on the swim team in high school. She was not a, a familiar, uh, or not a trained swimmer, I should say, but she was a fast swimmer. And the swim coach said, wow, you're really fast, Britta. Uh, we should put you on the team. But she didn't really understand the rules. So they got her into the pool, and she was the first one across the pool, but she swam all through all these different lanes. So she was disqualified. They said, well, you, you were off like a dart, but don't you know you have to go in the lane? She said, no, I just was trying to get to the other side as quick as I could. It disqualifies you. You see, we can get so fixated on a particular point that we say is the purpose of God. It's, it's Paul on the way to Damascus, and I've got the sight in my eyes. I've got my eyes on the prize, but it's the wrong prize. It's the wrong purpose. He's out of his lane. So you've got to pick your path, and the decision we've already said is, my path is God's path for me. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm going to trust him to guide my way. But then, when I am following him, I'm pursuing him. Not a particular political agenda, not a particular social outcome. It's not that those things don't matter. It's not that those things aren't important. It's not that Jesus won't actually activate me in some of those things. But those things cannot come before him. Why is it that God called Abraham to put Isaac on the altar? We are told that it was a test. And the test was, who's more important to you? What's more important to you? You see, if your commitment to a particular social agenda or to a particular political outcome is the totality of what you understand God to be about, I am warning you that you're at risk of running out of your lane and pursuing the wrong purpose, and that means you're focused on the wrong prize. But when your eyes are on Christ, then you will be a recipient of the Spirit to pursue with perseverance what he has called you to do and to be. And we together will be in alignment because there is unity in the spirit. Not conformity in the sense of a lack of diversity, but quite the contrary. There is diversity of parts, but one body. Many gifts, but one spirit. Many people, but one Lord. And that's who we want to be like. All of us together looking to the head, Christ. I want to know Christ and I want to be like him. And I don't I have not yet achieved that. And in fact, I'll never achieve it. I want him to achieve it in me. So I'm yielding myself all the time, which involves a lot of repentance and confession, dependence and, and trust, prayer. That's pursuing the prize. 
And so I press on in that. It, it, you wouldn't have to press on if it wasn't hard. You wouldn't be weary if you weren't running. If you're not weary in the walk with the Lord, you're probably not running the race that he's called you to. I don't mean to say that you should be weary, but I mean, if you don't need him to refresh you, then what is it that you are pursuing? If you're totally energized by your own activity, you don't need the Lord. But when you put your son on the altar, this precious promise from God, you know that it's all in God's hands. And then you see that when you are following the pathway of God, then you are in the place where God provides Jehovah Jireh. He provides strength to sustain, wisdom to perceive, and power to persevere and win the prize. I fix my focus on Christ, his call for my life. As I mentioned, Philippians 3 describes this. I'm not going to look at all the verses that are here. I'm going to move through those. But as you read, what you'll see is that Paul is talking about a time when there's a lot of social division, when there is strife with the prevailing Roman Empire, between Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. And what Paul is saying is all of these, um, these things that are such a point of focus for people around us, I count that as, as, as trash because I am focused on Christ and who I'm supposed to be in him and the righteousness that comes, not from being perfectly aligned to everything I perceive the word to be, but instead being perfectly submitted to the one who inspired the word. I'm not saying dismiss the scriptures. I'm saying you and I cannot properly understand them unless we are focused on him. He who is the living word will open the word to us. We can't properly understand them unless we are in a congregation that is part of the body of Christ, where the head can actually guide the body by his spirit. So running this purposeful race is picking the pathway that aligns with God's people and aligns to Jesus Christ, who is himself the manifestation of God. Then we can mature in his ways and live up to what he calls us to. Paul says, I'm going to be an example to you in this, even though I haven't already attained it, but... I am reaching forward to it because ultimately this is where real transformation happens and real resurrection is the prize. Eternal life is the prize. Look at 1 Corinthians 9. We're coming to the conclusion of the message. This is uh, along the lines of the secondary point of today's outline, which is having been placed on the path according to the person of Jesus, we pursue that prize. And Paul writes elsewhere to the Corinthians and says, don't you know that in a race... Everybody's running, but only one gets the prize. It's like my mom, uh, a lovely lady, but I'm using one of her failures as a... a but you know what? Here, here's another point. I wouldn't be talking about that swimming race today that was whatever it was 70 years ago or something, you know, 65 years ago. I wouldn't be talking about it probably if she had won. So in losing the race, she provided a, a better... Uh, uh, anecdote for today's sermon than she would have by winning. Sometimes our losses become the greatest lessons. Certainly that was the case for Paul on the road to Damascus. And how grateful was Abraham that he placed Isaac on the altar. So like my mother in that race, there were many swimmers, but the people who swam out of lanes weren't going to win the prize. There's only one who could get to the other side 
in the path that was proper. And so Paul says, run in that way. Run in your lane and run to win. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean storm the capital with violence and weaponry. Nor does it mean storm the streets of LA and loot the stores. If you think that those are the purposes of the Lord, I think you need to put that on the altar and see what the Lord would say to you about that. Here's what I hear Jesus saying, live by the sword, die by the sword. But blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the meek. They'll inherit the earth. So am I saying don't protest? No, I'm saying don't be a mob. I'm saying if you believe violence is going to achieve your purpose, your purpose is not God's. And what you will receive is what you have sown. Violence begets violence. And then people will say, well, who is it that's really behind both of those things? Isn't it interesting that on both sides of that equation, people are accusing others of being fraudulent? There is so much deception and delusion. That's why it's so important to be focused on the truth, which is not a set of facts, it's a person. Focus on Jesus. Run to him. Run to him in your grief. Run to him in your loss. Run to him in your sickness. Run to him in your discouragement. Run to him in your sureness and your certainty. Run to him about the social issues and the political problems. Run to him about the promises. Run to him in prayer. And discipline yourself. Humble yourself. Stop looking for the splinters in the eyes of those around you and discipline yourself to look inward. Because the reality is there's a lot of lies in the world, but the worst lies are the ones that are in you or in me. Jesus says, look inside. Every time somebody comes to him and says, why don't you tell my brother or my sister to do this? Tell my sister to help me. Tell my brother to share this. What Jesus says is, I'm going to talk to you about you. They're doing what they're doing. What about you? What's inside you? Me. Right? That's that strict discipline that says, I will submit myself to the Lord because he is my prize. He is the crown. So I don't run aimlessly. I don't just try and get to the other side as fast as I can. I'm in my lane. I'm pursuing the Lord. I don't just shadow box. I train. I train by reading the word. I train by praying. I train by giving to the church and to the needy of my time and of my talents. I train by counting every trial joyously and saying, Lord, what's your purpose in this? I train by lifting up my grief, by lifting up my concern, by casting all my cares. I train by meditating on the Lord. I train by silencing my tongue. I train by opening my ears. I train by asking God to give guidance. I train by spending time in worship. I, I train by giving myself over to the listening of God so that I don't get disqualified. Why would the word of God talk about disqualification from the prize unless it was a concern that he wants you to have? He wants you to be aware 
that you could think that you are on the right road and be on the wrong path. In conclusion, we know that we are following the Lord if we are humbly submitted to him and if we are constantly putting ourselves in the altar to him and if we are looking to his guidance by his spirit among his people. In Hebrews chapter 12, we get this running the race of faith with persistent perseverance. And there's several precepts there that are valuable for you and I. I remember the faithful people who preceded me. And we've talked about them today. We've talked about Abraham. We've talked about Saul, known as Paul. We've talked about John. Look at also the people in your own life who have paved a way for you. People that you have seen who finished well. Look at how they dealt with trials and challenges. And remember how they also found peace and victory in the Lord. Don't let sin ensnare you. It's constantly trying to grab hold of us. The enemy is like a lion looking at whom he can devour. When one gets off from the pack, the lion goes after them. Stay connected to the body. When one gets away from the word, they're like a sheep away from the shepherd. Let the good shepherd bring you back. Focus on Jesus. Look at his persistence. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with sin. He knew what it was to grieve. He knew what it was to lose a father, a friend. He knew what it was to be beaten and betrayed. He knew what it was to be lied about and lied to. He knew what you and I don't yet know. He knows what it is to die. And yet he, when he faced that, said, what should I do? My heart and soul are troubled. Should I say, God, get me out of this? No, for this very purpose, I came to this hour. So he persisted, and he will help you to persist. He will discipline you. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. Let the Lord tell you you're wrong. Let the Lord correct your vision. Let the Lord silence you when you want to speak. Let the Lord speak to you. Would you be willing to pray this prayer? God, show me where I am deceived. Show me where I am on the right path, but pursuing it the wrong way. I'm running in the race. I'm swimming in the pool, but I'm out of my lane. Show me where I am putting a principle of some political or sociological principle ahead of the person that you have connected me to in Christ. People are more important than what they believe. It's not that what we believe doesn't matter, but we matter more. We matter more to God. And God loves people who are wrong. I thank God that he does because I've been wrong a lot and I have a lot of wrong left in me. But I also am being made right and righteous in him. So I let him discipline me and I commit to discipleship myself in the daily disciplines of the faith, prayer, worship, repentance. And then I aim to live in peace and in the purity of the spirit focused on God's purposes and his promises. On this slide, you see reference to the verses in Hebrews chapter 12. Pick your path, and it's this, to know Christ and to be like him. Then pursue that prize. Reach out to him who has already reached out to you. Lay hold of him who has already laid hold of you. And if you say, well, he hasn't laid hold of me because I haven't given my life to him, then today is the day to realize his hand is on you. Right now, he's got a hold of you. And he's saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Call upon me in your hour of need and you will be saved. Trust in me. Ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, I'll lead you to it. Knock, I'll open the door to you. And when I open doors, says the Lord Jesus Christ of Revelation, no one can close them. And if there's a door that needs to be shut, then I shut the door and no one can open it. I have in my hand, says the Lord, the keys to life and death, to heaven and hell. And that's the hand that's on you right now. And it's a hand that says, I have a purpose for you. And it's life, it's truth, it's joy. So focus on me. Give yourself to me. And I will show you not only who I am, says Jesus, but who you are meant to be in me. And he who has called you, he is faithful. He also will do it. He will see it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we have so many needs and cares, but we cast them all at your feet. We cast our crowns at your feet. Crowns which sit on the head, glorious, strong, valuable. Surely we see in that, Lord, some kind of a symbol. Our way of thinking, but we put it at your feet. Our accomplishments, our education, our training, but we put it at your feet. Our ideas about you, about your word, about how you operate, but we put it at your feet. And we say, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. And worthy, worthy, worthy of our trust, of our faith. Now, Lord, we are weak and feeble creatures. But we trust in you. You make us strong in you. You give us focus in you. We give our lives to you once again, Lord. And we pray that you would enable us to live each day according to your purpose with perseverance in our call and unity in the body and truth to the world. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen.